All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 187 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger. As we welcome in on the 20th day of January, Frank Saravalli. Frank, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm feeling really good and kind of proud of myself because as you mentioned January 20th means it's day 20 of dry January and dry January can be scary, especially in a long, dark winter. But this year with athletic brewing, it's been simple because they have everything you need with their lineup of craft, non-alcoholic beers delivered right to your doorstep. As I said, I'm on day 20 the other night, my uh, kids hockey team, they wanted to go to the local pub play some video games, dad's sitting around having some wings, watching the football playoff games, and they had athletic brewing at the bar. So crack one open, didn't skip a beat. These are truly a game changer. Don't believe me? Use promo code FRANK20 for 20% off your first purchase at athleticbrewing.ca until January 31st and give dry a try. Better yet, Snap a photo of you enjoying an athletic brew this dry January and tag Daily Faceoff for a chance to win a signed jersey of your choice. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all faceoffs, fit for all times. All right, well, uh, keep it up. It's good. Uh, we have some news, um, not great news, Frank, uh, from uh, Carolina. Yeah, just an awful scene for the Carolina Hurricanes. Max Pacioretty uh, coming up lame and immediately grabbing his right leg. And uh, the Carolina Hurricanes still need to run some tests today. I believe an MRI is in order for Max Pacioretty, but the belief is that he has indeed torn his Achilles again. Um, Just what a blow for a, a guy that 
really has played some unbelievable hockey the last few years and, and just can't catch a break. Um, and so, you know, you look at his games played, I believe his last 92 or 93 games, he's exactly a point per game player, steps into the Hurricanes lineup after overcoming that first Achilles uh, injury, works his way all the way back, had admitted at a certain point that he was wondering if he was going to hang up his skates and, and wasn't going to make it. Plays his first four games, has three goals, goes out with a groin injury, and comes back to the lineup, and this happens in game number five. So um, a really tough blow for the Canes. Again, waiting confirmation, but every indication to this point is that it is indeed, as they hinted on Thursday night, Coach Rod Brindamore, that it is an Achilles tear and kind of changes the perspective of the deadline for the Canes now if they potentially have some money to play with, but it's not what they're thinking about today. They're thinking about a big piece out of their lineup. Yeah, well, you look at them and the potential of the back injury for Mark Stone in Vegas, and those are two teams, Frank, that potentially with LTIR space could uh, could be big additions. Now, the problem is, will the guys they add be as good um, contributors to, to the two that went out with injury, unfortunately? Like, Patch already, you're right. Like, the guys he's been very productive and you know, he's a veteran player, you know, a little bit bigger fits with what they want. Um, I'm going to be fascinated to see. I always thought Carolina, even with patch already, um, I thought they should, they could have went out and made a big splash. Cause I think they're that close. I just think they miss a game breaker, but patch already uh-huh. was one of those guys who was very close to that. And now that he's out, I think it makes it even more imperative that they go get. One. I, I don't want to give you any props, but I was talking to, an NHL GM yesterday who's an avid listener of the pod. And he said, Hey, I think it was Gregor that said that the hurricanes he thinks are, are missing a star. And he's like, I couldn't agree more. And I wonder like, does that open the door for someone like a Timo Meyer? You think of a a winger that can come in, shoot in volume and score. God damn. Does he make a lot of sense? (laughs) Yeah, Timo Meyer is a player that maybe because he's in San Jose, they play a lot of late games and, you know, they haven't been very good that maybe people don't recognize how good he is. Uh, he would be a huge addition. He's six foot three, 220 pounds, Frank. And you're right. He shoots the puck hard and he shoots it often. He could skate. Oh, second he, in uh, the league only to David Pasternak in shots on goal. Like the guy's a machine. Yeah, no, he would be, he would be a big ad. Be a big ass, but uh, and then he's got that ten million dollar qualifying offer, which is uh. But maybe that's when the Hurricanes just say, you know what? As an RFA, we're gonna trade for this guy right now, mm-hmm. and then even if we recoup half the assets and don't re-sign him and trade him at the deadline or trade him at the draft, then maybe that makes sense, or maybe they just let him walk as a free agent. Yeah, It'll, uh, his his case is gonna be very interesting uh, to me. I, I laid it out on dailyfaceoff.com um, on Thursday if you if you have a chance to read it. Oh, no, I read it. That's what I wanted in, to ask in you about. Full, yeah, in full detail, some contract comparables. It's safe to say somewhere between 8 and $9 million. The comps were JT Miller signed last year. Miller is three to four years older. And the other one was Philip Forsberg in Nashville. Um, so he's somewhere in that range and probably not a $10 million player, which is where the qualifying offer is. So he does have some leverage if they don't find a long-term deal, but he's, he's a fascinating player because there's not a lot of holes in his game. No, I, 
I think a team would sign him, and if you could get him on a seven, eight-year deal at, at $9 million, Frank, I, I don't think teams – you know, the 10 mil is – hey, it's a smart move by his agent. It's a very wise move because it puts him in a position to make the organization have to think. But, you know, even San Jose doesn't mean that they couldn't sign him. I'm just not sure they have the room. They're not. Uh, I don't just, even think they're going to make an effort to sign him. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see where that organization goes for sure. Um, we have Craig Button coming up uh, today, and it's going to be a lot of draft talk. Uh, Craig is uh, definitely dialed in when it comes to the draft. So we'll be talking about the teams at the uh, bottom end of the NHL. Of course, we've talked a lot about the playoff teams, but those non-playoff teams, uh, the draft can be a, a big difference maker, especially when you currently look at top teams in the NHL. Most of them are led by guys that were taken at the top of the draft, and that's usually how it works uh, in the NHL. Um, Frank, of course, the, uh, the big story, uh, th- this week that got a lot of attention was the Prober off in Philadelphia. Of course, you're in Philadelphia. Uh, how's it, how's it been in Philly? Uh, I would say the reaction has been very mixed. Uh, there's been a number of people, of course, who have been strongly against Ivan Provorov. And frankly, there's been a lot of people who have supported him and said, look, maybe I don't agree with his view and and it's not one that I share, but I appreciate the idea that you can express yourself and you don't have to be force fed and you can stand up for what you believe in. And I mean, look at their reaction. Provorov jerseys have sold out on NHL.com and Fanatics. Um, it's been a huge debate and topic of conversation here that I think a lot of people while supportive have also been tired of being told what to think. Here's my thing. And I, and I I don't agree, um, with, and I don't agree because he says if his, if his religion's the one who teaches him that, and it's Russian Orthodox and there's lots of religions, here's what I say. I don't want to yelling and screaming at someone doesn't work educating someone to have a conversation i would strongly recommend anybody who is a who's staunch into religion read theologian and and when it comes to to religion in the bible you need to read a theologian read matthew fox's book called the original blessing if 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 you're truly interested in in how much bigger there are things if you believe in god that strongly you should read the original blessing is one of the most thought-provoking books it's not preachy it just explains things, the history of God. And maybe what you think the Bible says might not be 100% true in certain interpretations. So I, w- I would recommend that at the bare minimum, it'll create great conversations. And I think that's what has to happen when situations like this occur. Um, obviously, you know, I, I understand the, the you know, you know Provar is entitled to think what he wants. Um, and that's okay. I just... It was a little odd to me because you I can't recall the last time a guy um didn't take warm up and played the game. Uh unless well, that was getting- the Flyers opening, I think. If they want like everyone's saying you can't punish him, you can't suspend I, I get all that. Here's the thing, and and I've thought about this a lot. Um, if I were managing the Flyers, what I would have said was it's no problem. You do not have to wear this jersey but you need to warm up. So you need to go out there in your regular flyers Jersey so that everyone can see the statement that you're making and stand up and stand out there. And then two, if he declined and said, well, I'm not doing that. Well then, Hey, look, you're a professional hockey player and you're shirking your obligation as a professional hockey player to properly prepare for a game by not warming up. And therefore you're out tonight. That's how I would have handled it. 
Um, and I, but I look, I understand. Um, I, I'm firmly against force feeding someone and telling them what to think and do. That's, it's not my view. I've been an advocate and supporter of everyone in the LGBTQ plus community. I've done work in the space. Um, I don't care what you are, what you do, what you're into. Um, whatever you do on your time is your thing. And I'm not here to get in anyone's way. So let's just be real clear about that. But this country was founded on freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of everything. And whatever he wants to do, so long as he isn't actively attacking or actively denouncing or using hate speech or anything like that, which he didn't do, then that's his choice and his prerogative. And he did not do anything wrong. The original blessing, Matthew Fox. I encourage a lot of people to read it. It will, uh, it will make, it'll make you realize at times just how small we are in the vast universe. Do you, it is do you agree, Jay? Deep, uh, not, not to interrupt you, but there was a clip that went viral from EJ Raddick of NHL Network, who said, "If you don't like it, get out of this country and go back to Russia and fight in the war." I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's what he said. Do you think that's way overboard, essentially saying get out because you're not in line? And I don't want to make this too political because there's a lot at, at stake here, yeah. Russia and Ukraine and everything else. But yeah, I think get that would out. Be, I would call that a little hyperbole. I, I've always said uh, if, if we want to have we can't yell and scream. That doesn't that's what that's what politics do. And nothing ever changes. Right. The right and the left, they yell and they call each other names and nothing changes. But what does it benefited at the end of the day? Nothing. People pound their chest if their side gets in. Oh, look, the right's in, we're great. Oh, the left's in, we're great. Doesn't really change anything. So um, it's easy to want to just ostracize people. I can disagree and say, why don't we have a conversation and say, help me understand why you view this way. Because as, as somebody who grew up Catholic and you know, I've read lots of the Bible and different things, here's my view has really changed. I'm strong on faith. I'm not really strong on, um, and, and luckily, my mother, uh, who, who raised us, was about, you're allowed to question things and say, okay, why is this? Well, I don't really agree with that. That doesn't seem to make sense. And the other thing is, like, the interpretation of the Bible, people have to understand. It's been changed how many different times in language over the years. I don't years. even think this was really religious. I just, like... Well, you my, could be right. I believe and, and it was just a crutch that he used Maybe, to, and that's fair. And that's, and that's my it. other thing, is I don't like when you, well, my religion says this. You, you can't base that on, because there's lots of things the Bible says that are completely deplorable now that we would totally disagree with. So are you can't pick and choose which right. one. So that that's why for me, um, yeah, I would disagree with saying get out because, um, you know, that you can be a really good person and do a lot of really good things and then disagree with one thing that doesn't represent everything. And the other thing, my only complaint about this was I saw a lot of people saying, oh, this is a representation of hockey. No, it isn't. There's lots of people in hockey that How strongly disagree that? with what Provorov did. Right. They, they just and they're allowed to disagree with it. Right. Yeah. There was look at how many people just look on the flyers alone, some of their players and how strongly involved they are in supporting that community. Right? So don't say it's all of hockey. It represents Ivan Provorov and maybe some others, but it doesn't represent everyone. And we need to stop generalizing and claiming, oh, the hockey community does this based on this. No, some people within the hockey community. 
I can find every community of everything that's never going to have 100% agreement. So we really need to stop with the gross generalization. It doesn't help further any conversation. And, and not only that, but he's one person in the league that's, that's publicly made a stance that, frankly, 50-plus percent of the United States still feels the same way that he does based on polls and everything else. So that's just he's he's one one person representative of a much larger population that still exists in the country. Yeah, my only question, I really don't understand what people are scared of. Like, why does it like why either. would you be like why what, would you be worried what, about what's the it to LGBT? you? What do you care? Yeah, like I don't ask my heterosexual friends what them and their partners do in their bedroom. It's none of my business. I don't care. And and really when you when you want to break it down as simple as we can, we're talking about being homosexual, heterosexual. So I'm heterosexual. I like the opposite sex. You're homosexual, like the same sex. Who cares? How does that change anything? There's plenty of room in the world for all of us to coexist. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't understand. I don't have any all. issue with it. I support oh, it. Some of my good, I, I, some but, of my good. I, but all my only point was, and to, to wrap it is he has the right to not trumpet it. He didn't denounce it. He just is saying, I'm not celebrating it. And there's a no. big difference, I think. There is. And freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of consequence. So there's going to be pushback. Right. And, and he's gotten it. He's gotten yeah. hammered. And he yeah. whatever he gets, he deserves. Based on the opinion of that person making it. No, if well. you want to open yourself up to the conversation, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. And I think I think people need to have more of a, a, a actual conversation. And I, I, I'll say this again. Just go read the book. If you, if you truly are passionate about it, Go read the book. But a lot of people just want to yell and scream and never want to educate themselves more. And they I'll want to do you, it in 280 characters on Twitter where you can barely yeah. even get your point across. Yeah. Uh, original just blessing. Yelling and screaming. Go do it. Now, hey, let's uh, let's go talk some uh, some draft because I'm telling you, Frank, we'll get into the NHL a bit. We got some uh, good questions coming up. But first, I want to get to uh, uh, Craig Button today because uh, there are teams that are, are salivating at the potential of Connor Bedard. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now we're happy to have back on the DFO rundown, uh, former NHL GM and scout, current uh, scout and analyst for uh, TSN. He is also a huge pickleball fan. We might spend 15 <laughs> minutes talking about pickleball. Of course, from uh, TSN, Craig Button. Butts, how are you? I'm good, Jason. I'm thinking of going on the tour. There's a, there's a lot of money coming into pickleball. So, you know what? I'll be at the lower tier. Like, a, you know, relegation, I think, will exist in pickleball. So I think I'll quickly get relegated. But, hey, there's a, there, there might be uh, a living to be made down there at those lower levels. Well, if, if I look at pickleball, if we have a seniors golf league, why can't there be a seniors tour for pickleball? I totally agree. And, you, you know, listen, you, you think about uh, the popularity of pickleball. I mean, it's, it's being televised now. You know, I, I think there'll be tours. There'll be celebrities playing. There's no telling where the growth of pickleball is headed. And you know what? You were always at the leading charge of it. Um, <laughs> I, I've, yet, I've yet to see you play. I, I saw the remnants of one of your games once. Um, because uh, for those listeners who don't know, uh, Butts gave himself a really good shiner. Had a few. St- uh, now, did you get stitches when, uh, when you went all out on that one? Nine stitches, three on the eyebrow, six on the cheekbone, right before the trade deadline. There, yeah. there I showed up with a, with a, with a nice face uh, on trade deadline. And, yeah, tripped over my own two feet. There I went, right down. Oh, great. Well, hey, Bucks, we got, I'd love to have you on. Got lots to talk about. Uh, we're going to make a big announcement uh, with your pod coming up in a sec. But I do want to get to the, uh, you know, the Bedard sweepstakes. And, of course, that's a big topic. You, of course, uh, cover the draft and have your rankings all the time. And he's obviously been number one. And I don't foresee that changing. Um, fit, as a former GM and scout, I think you realize that, you know, certain players, where they get drafted can impact a lot, depend on the franchise development, depend on maybe who they're going to play with and such. You know, I think Bedard's going to be good. But if you were looking at the best landing spot of those teams, because we know now you can't move up from 13th or 12th, there's going to be no Rangers in this year's uh, draft lottery. Of the bottom teams, do you see one that would be a better fit for Bedard? Well, so I'm going to go global here and, and, and go big picture too, because I think market matters uh, for, for Connor Bedard. It's not just who has young players, you know, who, who, who needs them the most. And, and I think it's clearly the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, they've been a national presence on, on, on NHL uh, in NHL circles on TV. And we saw, you know, the, the popularity, the following they had, with Kane and Taze and all the success they had with their three Stanley Cups. And I think when you, you look at a player that, that, that good and, and, and thus that marketable, I think you, you want to take advantage of, of that skill and that person to the greatest extent possible. And that to me is the Chicago Blackhawks and their market. And, you know, you want to put your stars on, on TV as much as you can on national TV. So to me, the Blackhawks uh, fit and you know, like, like Taze and Kane, I think that Connor Bedard could move in there and, and, you know, be the new face of the next generation, the next wave, you know, they got some, they got some really good young players, uh, you know, that are percolating and outside the NHL and junior and college and in Europe. So he, he just adds to it and you wake up in three, four years time and like the Hawks of, of the, 
of this early, right around 07, 08, after they had drafted Kane and Tays, that team really emerged. And I think that the Blackhawks could do similar things. Yeah, Craig, I, I wholeheartedly agree that he'd be a tremendous fit in Chicago. And I just kind of see this idea of, look, who knows exactly what's going to happen at the trade deadline, but it sure seems like 19 and 88 are, are heading to greener pastures or are going to have a chance to win after um, collecting three Stanley Cups in Chicago already. But I think back to the time when those guys came in the league they walked into that dressing room and there was no sort of hierarchy. There was no superstar that was in there that might've been overshadowing them. And they were able to come in and grow with that team at the same time. And I kind of see, you know, if those guys are moving on, which seems likely at this point that if a Connor Bedard were to go there, that he could sort of walk in and, and, and begin to make that his team as well. What do you think about the idea of that? Oh, I, I, I think that that's absolutely the case. Not that Connor Bedard wouldn't benefit from a Jonathan Taze or Patrick Kane being around, you know, to, to, to just kind of, you know, mentor him and, and whatnot. But, but I agree with you, Frank, that, you know, 88 and 19, you know, heading somewhere where they can, you know, try to compete for another Stanley Cup seems to be totally in the cards. You know, Connor, from the day he started in the Western Hockey League with the Regina Pats, ha has been – precocious he, he he's been a, a very mature player on the ice and off the ice that doesn't reflect his actual age and I think that you know also coming into a market coming into a situation where the expectations will be high for Connor as John Paddock the general manager in Regina told me last spring he said Connor's been in the spotlight since he was 12 and there's not been a spotlight too bright for him and I think that going into Chicago you know he now becomes the face of the franchise. He now becomes that leader. And, you know, other young players like Taze and Kane and Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook, they can grow together, you know, and, and, and again, you got some younger players, but, you know, Connor Bedard is a, is a real strong player on the ice, but he's a very mature player off the ice. So that leadership at, at a young age, I think will be on display. He'll become more comfortable as he gets older and settled into the league but there's no question that he can come in and, and, you know, take a hold of the situation and, and perform at a high level. I want to ask you this, and I want to preface it with the idea that I think sometimes we get a little bit too wrapped up in definitions, but I found it really interesting as Connor Bedard broke through at the world junior championship, that it seemed that he went from this sort of superstar prospect to someone that has reached the generational category. Has your opinion of him changed as the year has gone on you try not to make too big of a deal of five or seven games in in one tournament but what did that tell you about him in terms of his status and what we might be looking for once he does make it to the nhl well frank uh you and me uh discussed that whole idea of franchise superstar generational player and i'm protective of the uh of the term generational player it's reserved I, for I a very elite category that really we're talking like five, six, seven players ever in NHL history. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I you don't want to water that down where I found myself in, and, and it wasn't so much about one game, two games, three games, you know, I've, I've watched Connor lots over three years. It, I, I kept comparing them to Wayne Gretzky and I kept saying to myself, wait a second here. I keep talking about, I haven't seen a performance by a player at this tournament at this age 
since Wayne Gretzky at the 1978 World Junior Tournament. And so I'm sitting here thinking, I'm going, and like Gretzky, there might have been some questions about, uh, uh, oh, is he big enough? What about a skating? And those were questions that people were asking. And I kept saying, like, he, he wasn't the best player in the tournament. He was the best player by a wide margin. And that's a hard tournament to be the best player at at any point in time. But at 17 years of age, it was so impressive. And, you know, I, I, I was straddling the line and I said, I can't continue to straddle the line when I'm, when I'm comparing them to Gretzky. And, you know, I asked Bob McKenzie, we, we, we were talking before, there was a bunch of, whole, uh, uh, a number of people talking. And the same you think thing between the up. two of you, you've seen 50 World Juniors? Oh, well, Bob's seen 60. I've only seen 20. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bob will be mad at me for that one. No, all kidding aside. No, but like we're standing around and people, what about a skating? What about a size? So I turned to Bob and I said, Bob, you watched Wayne Gretzky play uh, in junior. What did they say about him back then? And Bob, here's what he said. He said, not fast enough. Shot isn't good enough. Size isn't, it, it, it's too small. Get eaten alive in pro hockey. So Bob was boots on the ground when Wayne Gretzky was in junior. And so that was, and so that's where you, you start to say to yourself, okay, I, I, you know, I, I, I felt really comfortable uh, saying, okay, he's generational. And, you know, and from the day he stepped into the uh, Western Hockey day one, all he has done at, at every level and every is dominated and dominated far above everybody else. And, you know, at some point in time, I think we just have to recognize that and acknowledge it. I can talk about straddling the line, but I, I felt I had to step over it and, and, and move into that generational uh, uh, compartment. What about Meechkov? I'm not saying he's in Bedard's category, but he, he's highly touted. Lots of people like him. If you're a GM and you know that he can't come over for a few years, Craig, is that almost a benefit in a way because it eliminates the fact that you try to rush him because teenagers in the NHL rarely match success. It happens all the time. I, you know, I didn't understand why Slavkovsky was in Montreal all year. Unfortunately got injured, but it's hard and it's not a knock on any player. It's just, it's not a teenager league except for the very rare few. So would that shy you off knowing that you might not get him for three years? Should that matter for a GM? You know, I think that I don't think uh, Matt Bay Mitchkoff's talent is is in question here. I think that, you know, his potential is undeniable. But you're looking at a player that can't come over until the 2026 season, at the beginning of the 2026 season. And it's not just that uh, he can only come over that time you have to wait, but it, there's also an opportunity cost of taking him uh, over somebody else that could be in your lineup, let's say at 19 and 20. And, you know, it's, it's, a great, it's a great idea to say at this point in time, wow, we just got to take the most talented player, I will. Well, what, inevitably what ends up happening, and every team tries to – not every team tries. That's what every team does. We're going to take the best. But as time unfolds and you start to see other players, you, you know, emerge and start to play well and everything. Well, now what ends up happening is now that, well, why didn't you take that player? He's playing in the NHL. Why didn't you take that player? So there's pressures that come – from different areas. I, I, I think the benefit of Matt Bay Mitchkoff's status, both contractually and with the situation with Russia, Russia worldwide, is that 
you know, he's going to hit a point in the draft. And I don't know where that is where some team, whether it be a team with an extra pick or some team who just says, hey, listen, you know what? We're in a spot where we don't need him right away and we're going to wait and we're going to select him. But, you know, I I think those are the factors surrounding Matt Bay Mitchkoff. And unfortunately for Matt Bay and, and for the hockey world, you know, we watched in Dallas in April of 2021, him and Bedard, you know, really go head to head and get everybody excited about the 2023 draft. And you know that a player, would, uh, any player would have loved to have been on the world junior stage and showing what he had. And everybody would have loved watching it. Matt Faye didn't get that chance. He's trying to find his way in a very difficult league in the KHL. But, you know, his, his talents and his, and, and his skill are undeniable. It, he, to me, we use wild card uh, when it comes to draft. He might be the most ultimate wild card of all time <laughs> going into a draft. You know, I, even Eric Lindros, when you go back just quickly, and talk, I mean, you knew he was coming, he, but he still went first overall. There was no way the, the Quebec Nordiques or anybody, because they knew they were going to do it. And they had to wait a year. They missed out. But, you know, you looked at it long term. But he, he, th- this might be the ultimate wild card of all time at the World Junior, at, at the NHL draft. So how difficult would it be from a manager's perspective, put yourself in those shoes, knowing that you're picking a guy that, it's probably a coin flip as to whether or not you're still even with the organization by the time he makes uh-huh. it there. Well, and that, and that's a coin flip that you got to ask yourself, do you even want to flip the coin, right? Like, you know, or do you want to just keep the coin in your pocket, not knowing if it would come up heads or tails? I, you know, one of the things that's been a challenge uh, for NHL teams, and, and, and this speaks to all 32 NHL teams, the only way you can see Matt Mitchkoff play is on video. No NHL team has a, a major decision maker currently in Russia. There, there's scouts that have worked for NHL teams and there's trusted scouts. But, you know, ultimately when it comes to draft evaluation and where you're, how you're going to look at the draft and how you're going to order things, you, every NHL team wants their uh, key decision makers to have eyes on a player and to, and to be able to say, here's what, we, here's what we have, here's what we know, here's how we compare them. And that's lacking this year as well. So, you know, it's great to say you have faith in your scouting system. And, and it's easier, oh, well, he's a third-round pick, just take him. We're talking about a, a, a top five, a top three talent uh, in, in the draft. And, and, and that comes with, you know, okay, what does this mean? Are we sure? Because those are, even when you watch the player a lot, those are the questions that get asked. Are you sure? How sure are we? What are we missing? You know, how good can he be? How good can he be compared to this player? And you're going off of, uh, you, you know, the reports from your Russian scouts, plus what you've watched on video. And a lot of times, you know, that's not the, that doesn't, that doesn't inspire the level of confidence that you would like to have. That doesn't mean you're not going to select the player. It just means that level of confidence isn't as high. Craig, um, I know, and I've talked to you many years about your rankings. You're going to rank it on, you know, who are the best players at this moment? Because no one can predict who's the best down the road. You, you know, you, you sure scouts that that that's part of the equation. But in your rankings, I don't think it's OK. I'm taking this guy because I, I automatically guarantee he's going to be better in five years because I can't do that. But and you rank top 10 players. Somebody can't be in the top 10, even if they're good. Right. That's just eventually you got to come down to your rankings. So non top 10 guy right now. Which one do you have the most confidence in can be an impact player down the road? Yeah, and, and, and so now we get into different definitions, right, Jason? And, and, and projection is a part of it. And, 
you know, you can look at players and, you know, I think uh, I, I say I say this often in talking over the years to NHL personnel, anybody interested in the draft. You know, I think we all can put down 20 players and know that there's certain first round draft picks in every draft. Here's 20 players that, you know, now, you know, somebody might go 29, somebody might go seven. Right. But I think we can be pretty confident there's 20. It's it, it, it's where and who who those players are. I think that this is a draft that has when I say quality, I'll define quality. I think there's depth of top two line forwards and some top three defensemen that, that go deeper into the draft, which a lot of times you, you, you don't see. I don't see that as often in drafts. I think this year's draft has that, has that uh, unique distinction about it. So the, the player that I would say right now that, that I'm in, totally intrigued by, that I really – think has some some abilities that are that, that I I wouldn't say surprise people but could be that player that you talk about impact is Oliver Moore of the USA national team development program okay. I, I, I see some Dylan Larkin in him and Dylan Larkin was a was a drag I think he was 14 or 15 in a draft and 15, you know yeah. we know what Dylan Larkin has become and I, I would call uh, Dylan Larkin an impact player for the Detroit Red Wings and when I watch Oliver Moore play, the skating, the, the tenacity, the smarts, he contributing offensively and doing so many different things in the game, I, I think Oliver Moore it could fit that description of an impact player. There's other players you hope, you know, might. And, and I don't even say hope. That's not even the right way that you say, okay, they can play in the NHL. Impact is a, is a good word, Jason. And that's why, I, that's why I take Oliver Moore. And I'll be straightforward with you. When it's all said and done, he very well may be in my top ten. Uh, when it's all, but he isn't now. But that's that's the player that I would that I would earmark uh, for for your description. So, Craig, one of my favorite things to talk to you about the draft is tiers of players, and I think that's what you and and everyone else that's at a team draft table is trying to figure out is how do we slot these players? You know, you've got the first group of elite sort of franchise changers. And then you've got this next group of players that goes down to whatever number that you feel really comfortable with being, as you defined it, impact players. You said you think this draft is, is unusually deep in that sense. Um, do you have any idea of how you would slot your tiers? And I'm not asking for names, but is it one to six or one to seven? And then eight to 60, like where, where's the cutoff in your mind in terms of real impact players? Cause I think everyone that's, whether they're gathering a second round pick or a late first or whatever it is, this may present some different opportunities this year to really grab an impact guy. So what I would say, Frank, like, uh, so, so if I'm looking at this year's draft, obviously draw a line under one. So, so, so that's the first tier, right? That's, that's a unique tier. Right? You don't have it. And then I would say that the, I, I think just in talking in a, in, a, in a general sense, you got three players, and that would be Fantilli and Leo Carlson, and I think we have to put Matt Mitchkoff in there and give him, give him the benefit of the doubt. So that would be that next group. So it would be one and then three. And then I think you're, you're looking now uh, from five to – what I would say is I, I would say five to 20, maybe 22 – that's where I think, you, you know, I see that quality of top two line forwards, 
top, top three defenseman potential in there. And, you know, you might project a guy to be a top three and he ends up being a two or he ends up being a one. You know, Eric Carlson went 15th in the draft. I mean, the guy's an impact wouldn't even begin to describe what he's done in the NHL, not to mention what he's done this year. So that's, that's where I would go to like 22. And then after that, you know, 23, and I'm, I'm always, I, I, I believe that, you know, after that, there's probably another 25 players that could be in consideration for that slot 23 to 40. You know, it's, it's 18 players. There might be 30 players in that group, but that's now where I think the tier drops. And I'm now, now you're talking about third line forwards. You're talking about wingers that fit a specific role, defensemen that are four or five. So, can a four become a three? Potentially. Can a five become a four? But that's where I have it narrowed down to. And then after that, I think that you're looking at players for one reason or another, might be a little bit smaller, might not have grown, might not have, or haven't grown yet, that you're now looking at who, who could, with some maturity and time, you know, maybe come out of the, come out of the draft in, in three, four years time and be really good. I mean, that, I don't think that any, if you thought, and uh, let's just say a player that's, I don't know, five foot eight, you know, was going to grow to 5'11", and you were certain that he would be 5'11", and an impact player, you know, you can play the draft, but teams would draft those players a lot sooner if they were certain, back to my confidence point of view. I said this earlier, and I'll give you an example. Lane Hudson. Lane Hudson is, is, is a darn good player. He went, I what, 20? He was – Pardon me? Lane Hudson went number 20. Is that right? No, he went second round, like 48 or 49. So oh, maybe that's right. Later. Okay. Yeah. So I said this earlier. I said, if Lane Hudson was 5'11 last year, he would have been in conversation for first overall. Like he would have been. But he's not 5'11. He's 5'8. And he's 155 pounds. So if, if somebody feels that Lane Hudson could get to 5'11 and 175 pounds and they were, and they were sure of that, like he would have been drafted much higher. The reason a good player like that goes in the second round, the latter part of the second round, is because there are concerns. But I don't think anybody looks at Lane Hudson and says that he couldn't have the potential, but you're not drafted on that high. So that's the example I'm using. It's not that you don't think that you got a good player there, but, you know, that that's where that's where you get to that next part of the draft and that's where we'll talk in years to come about any number of players how did they get them in the third round how did Kirill Kaprizov go in the fifth round like you know those are the questions uh, you know how did Braden Point go in the third round how did Kucherov go late in the second you know those are the questions that we'll ask but there, there's always some mitigating circumstances surrounding them uh when you when you when you go back in time to to when they were drafted so it, it, that's actually a really interesting point about Hudson. And I, I knew I, I remembered his name from somewhere. And that's because I was just recently going over a lot of the transactions from last year at the deadline. And that ended up being a second round pick that the Montreal Canadians got from the Edmonton Oilers in the Brett Kulak deal. And so I think everyone's always kind of wondering, you know, when we were just talking about tears and especially this year, it seems like teams look, there's going to be first more first round picks traded. There were already three in the 2023 draft already. There's probably going to be another five to seven, but when it comes to second round picks, which seem to move a lot easier, are they more valued this year in your mind, given this crop or no? I would say yes, Frank. 
my my philosophy over the years, and and obviously that philosophy, you know, continues to uh, try to uh, progress and develop. It, I believe that if you get an extra second round pick or a couple of extra second round picks, early thirds, right? That's where that's where you make your bets. That's where you make your bets on the Lane Hudsons. That's where you say, you know what? You go be safe or whatever whatever terms you want to use on, 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 on that side. But on this pick, we're going for massive upside. We're going for the home run. We're going for the player that we think could be that guy. Whether he turns out or, or, or not to be that player, it doesn't matter. That's exactly where I – that's how I would approach it in trying to acquire – second round picks and, and, you know, say top 75 picks because, you know, in, in, into the early part of the third round, that, that's where I would be, you know, really saying I, I'm betting on the upside. I'm, I'm not betting on, well, you know what he, you know, like how, how big will he be? I don't care how big lane, I'm betting on him. I'm betting on him there with extra picks. Yeah, and you look at some franchises, Arizona is the prime example of how many extra picks they have. You, you can take a few swings that maybe other teams yep. wouldn't take. And, um, you know, the, the truth is not every pick's going to hit. That's just a fact. Uh, you know, you leave a draft. If you can get two legit NHL players, you're pretty happy. You get anything above that. And, and uh, you know, the scouts are usually high-fiving themselves just because there's not that much room, ultimately, uh, in your franchise for everybody to play. And so when we... You know, you go to that, Greg, and, you know, you, you get into the strategy of these teams having so many picks. And you look at how many picks Arizona has, and, you know, they talk about wanting more. Is there a point, though, where it's too many? Because you're like, you know, A, you got to hit on them because if you want to move some of them, because they're not all going to enter your team at the same time, right? And I look at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is the prime example. They had very good players, but they were able to take all their draft capital and move a lot of it for Ryan McDonough's and Barkley Gujo's and Blake Coleman's, et cetera. Right. And so, but the McDonough trade specific was a bunch of guys that already drafted in the first and second round who people perceived as, as value. And is, is Arizona, we can talk all we want about having the picks. Where do you come out on? Is there a time when you can have too many in, in a certain period of time, because you know, it's just physically impossible for all of them to come into your organization. Jason, uh, you, you've nailed it, right? You can you, you you can draft as many players. You, you can draft fifteen players in a draft. You can't sign even if all fifteen turned out. You can't sign all fifteen. <laughs> like it's 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 literally impossible. And because not only is it impossible to sign them, you, you, if that impossibility didn't exist, th then where are they going to all play? Right? Like you know, you, it just becomes just so hard. So the term you use is draft capital. And so I'll, I'll take the draft part of it and, and look at capital and just use it in just general senses. So when you, when you have capital and you want to invest in it, you, you have to make decisions. You want to invest in the present. You want to invest in the future. How do you want to, how do you want to take your capital? And in this case, hockey draft capital can be used to help your team now, right? Like is what, what, what you pointed out, or you can try to, you know, use, you know, your draft, your draft capital for down the road. We're going to trade uh, a second or two seconds to take a first uh, next year or, or however you want to work it. But at some point in time, you got to come to the, rea the, to the realization that, okay, here's what we have. And, and understand too, all the other teams know if you can sign a player and if you have too many players, they're evaluating you too. So there's also a timing 
to when you move your, your prospects and, and who they are and where they fit in. And, and so it's great to have all these draft picks and, and, and people want them, but it's how you uh, utilize, uh, you know, the, the use of acquiring draft picks and then where your team is at and how you trade prospects, when you trade prospects, when you trade draft picks. And, and, it, and it's, it, I think it's got to be a balance sheet you know, in, out. Okay. So we acquired, okay, now we're going to move some out. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's always, uh, you know, you know, progressing and moving in, 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 in a continuous fashion, but everybody, Oh, look how many draft picks we got. I look at prospect lists. I mean, you, you look at a team like the Buffalo Sabres, they have a really good young team and they've, they, they've been in this space of acquiring draft picks. Well, if you start looking down their depth chart and you start looking at all their young players and they got some really good young players and players outside the NHL, they're not all going to be able to play for the Buffalo Sabres. So the Buffalo Sabres are going to come to a point in time where they're going to have to, they're going to have to look and go, okay, what do we need for our team right now? And, and, and what can get us that to help our team right now? And I think Arizona will find themselves in that spot, just like every team will. And, and you, you also have to balance out, your your current team and say how do we help our current team with the young players jason you know i've said this uh and i've said it to you you know when you uh, i was asked uh about the edmonton oilers prospects and if any of them could help the edmonton oilers for this coming you know playoff stanley cup run hopeful stanley cup run i said yeah just not on the ice you know they're gonna have like they'll, they'll have to use them in my view not all of them but they have to consider using them to acquire players that can help them right now. Greg, I, I wanted to ask you about Adam Fantilli. Um, obviously, whoever takes him is going to be getting a great player, but I feel like on the heels of a special world junior from Connor Bedard that a lot of people, fairly or unfairly, were comparing him to Bedard in that, look, you want to see you know, Fantilli pushing Bedard because a lot of people headed into the tournament saying, oh, this guy, you know, could be closing in on Bedard for that number one spot. We know that Bedard has solidified that. But wh- what do you make of Fantilli and where he's at? And what do you make of his World Junior? So I'll say two things. And, and I've watched Adam play since he was 14 years of age. And he's always been a, a very gifted offensive player, a hard-driving offensive player. I mean, he's got – He's got significant drive and can score and is hungry to score. He, along with Leo Carlson, to me, I left the World Junior Tournament really thinking of, really admiring how both those players played. Number one, they're both centers. They were both asked to play left wing and, and, and in different roles. You know, Leo's, uh, you know, progression through the tournament went a little bit more to the offensive side, but not at the beginning. And so, you know, you're, you're playing out of position and you're, and you're playing in a role that you haven't played in. And, and I thought they were both admirable in terms of how they approached it and how they embraced the role and did it. You know, it's a 10-day tournament. And people say to me, well, the coaches don't know how to use Fantilli. I said, it's not about the coach's job to know how to use Adam Fantilli. It's about who do I need to trust over 10 days to help me compete for a gold medal? And it's not about a, a player not being a good prospect because he played on the third line or the fourth line or not producing or whatnot. It, it, it's, I look at it through the lens of a 10 day tournament and what has to happen all around. And so that's like, that, so Craig, that's like, like saying uh, in, in some cases, 
hey, you know, why is this coach in the NHL not properly developing this prospect? Well, his task is to win. Yeah, he wants to help the player grow, but it's a win league, not a developmental league. And it's a win tournament, not a, hey, we're here to service Adam Fantilli at the sake of everyone else. I, I, I totally agree with you. I, and, 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 you know, Jason Greger, you just talked about that. It's, it's not a league for 18-year-olds. It's not, it's, it's not a development league. And, I, and if you're taking players and putting them in the NHL to develop them, like I'm talking about the initial stages of development and, and important stages of development, you know, it, 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 it's not the, and you can't expect coaches to do that, Frank. I think you're spot on. So, you know, just back to the, to, to Fantilli and I kind of, like I, I, I put Carlson into the same boat. So I, I, I think it's a broad, a broader perspective. Adam Fantilli to me, could he end up being a winger in the answer? Perhaps, but I see him as a center. I see him as that hard driving you know, scoring center that's hungry, he's big, he's fast, he's determined and competitive. And I think when, when, you, when you look at it over time, and, and, and again, people might say, well, you know, you, you would expect him to do that at the World Junior Tournament. Okay, that, that's fine. I, I didn't look at it and trying to measure him on my expectations. I, I looked at it as trying to evaluate him on, on what he showed and, and showing some versatility and showing some adaptability and, and embracing it and ended up being part of a, of a championship team. But Frank, to your point, you know, uh, Dennis Williams is Dennis Williams job at the world junior was to get, was to take a group of players, coalesce them together to try to help compete for a gold medal. I, I would say that the players embraced it. I mean, Kevin Korczynski, are you going to tell me Kevin Korczynski isn't a good prospect because he didn't play very much, uh, you know, come quarterfinal time. No, he just wasn't ready to do what the team needed. That doesn't mean he's not a good prospect. He was the seventh overall pick last year. And next year at the tournament, Kevin Korczynski will be a real prominent player for uh, Team Canada. Probably just like, I mean, Korczynski was on the team, the Chicago Blackhawks draft pick, and the team last year. And there was a lot of consternation about him being left off the selection group. But he comes back this year, a year older, mature, and a real key figure for Team Canada en route to a gold medal. So, that's the way I look at the tournament and, and look at the prospects and, you know, looking, that's, that, that's the lens that I look at it through. And, you know, people get excited and, oh yeah, Adam Fentilli's closing the gap on Connor Bedard. And, and, and maybe on December 15th, that was the case, but on January 6th, when the tournament had ended, it was no longer the case. And I, I think that that's another, uh, you know, real reminder that you're looking at this over a continuum. It's not like you're just, here and, and that's where it is on that day it changes mm -hmm. craig your draft and prospect analysis is second to none love talking hockey with you and love listening to your podcast at cool button and we teased the announcement earlier but um please you, you've always as a colleague treated me as family so pleased to welcome you and steve coolius into the nation network family the cool button podcast is joining our team and uh can't wait to get rolling yeah, well, uh, you, you know, you, you made overtures and, you know, when the first overture was made, it was one I go, okay, this is, this is somebody I trust and trust implicitly. And I, and knowing what you do uh, on, on the, on, on the network, I, I think that it's something that can uh, not only uh, where we can help contribute and, and, and bring some, uh, you know, some different perspectives and views, but it, it's something that excites us. And, you know, 
to be with uh, to be with you and the group is something that, that that I know Steve is excited about. And as you know, Steve has lots of ideas, Frank. So <laughs> open up your suggestion box because they'll be flying in there. And Steve, there's never a day that goes by where Steve doesn't have ideas and suggestions. So uh, they usually come to me. I have redirected all his messages that usually come to me right to your inbox. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, you know, the biggest concern I have is do you have enough energy to keep up with Steve because he's <laughs> 400 miles an hour. And so now I'm, I don't know if I can type fast enough to respond to some of these suggestions. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that one of the things with Steve that we love about him is, uh, you know, that energy, that passion and, you know, he, he's, he told me that on January 1st, he went on a no sugar diet. So understand that that energy doesn't come from any additives or anything. It, it, it's in his, uh, in his blood. It's in his DNA. So it, it's fun. He loves hockey. He loves talking about hockey. He's informed. And you know what? He will offer opinions and, and insights and, and, uh, and, and analysis. And it's a wonderful thing. So we couldn't be happier. Uh, we couldn't be happier to be joining you. Awesome stuff, Craig. Uh, well, before we let you go, we play rapid fire, and uh, the only rule is you have to answer the question. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't. Um, I never have a problem answering questions. I know that's good. Uh, we'll start off with maybe uh, the, the thing that you, you're most passionate about right now, which is uh, which is pickleball. Which um, <laughs> what what is the most important skill set? needed to succeed in pickleball? I, I, you know what I would say, Jason, it, it is just uh, a camaraderie. It, 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 it's, a, it's not only a competitive sport, it's a real social sport. And, you know, it's, it's females and males playing together. And if you don't understand that and don't understand that you can be competitive and, and, and whatever level you're playing at, that camaraderie is something that I, that, that, that I have found unique and really, really special. You were part of the Calgary Flames when the Neuendijk Ginla trade happened. And it worked out for both franchises. Stars win the cup, Flames get a franchise player. Fast forward many years, Ryan O'Reilly for Tage Thompson. Now, maybe it wasn't instantaneous for Buffalo, but will Tage Thompson score as many goals as Jerome Ginla? Well, Jerome's in the 600 goal uh, category. And, and he started at 19. Tage has had a little bit later start on that. So the answer to me is no. No. Okay. Guys play longer now, which uh, makes it interesting. So, which leads me to this next one. I know you're a stats guy. Sidney Crosby, if you look at the numbers, could hit 2,000 points by the age of 41. And just at normal numbers. Does Sidney Crosby play long enough to get to 2,000? Or is Connor McDavid the next 2,000-point player? Wow, that's a good one. You know, what I would say is, you talk about players playing longer, 18th season for Sidney Crosby. They're, they're, tell me when, where, where the signs of decline are yet. So for me now to bet against Sidney Crosby getting 2,000, you know, outside of an injury, I, I can't say that, that, that if he wants to, I think he will. So I would say that Crosby gets there before McDavid. But both of them could hit the number. Going back to when you were a GM, was there one pick you really wanted and the team right before you took him? And it still irks you to this day. Kind of like in fantasy football, when the guy drafting right in front of you takes a guy and like, are you kidding me? I wanted that guy. That happened to you? Tuomo Rutu. Tuomo Rutu. 
there was only that. So that was when I was in Calgary, the other player. And uh, we had a chance to, uh, to get him when I, when, when I was in Dallas, uh, you know, uh, with that group was Simo Gagne. And there's players you, you don't get that you like, but those were two players that won. But I love Tuomo Rutu. It, it, like, you know, it's, he, he was so good and so competitive. He ended up with some injuries, and you talk about development and everything, but Tuomo was – and to this day, you know, uh, like I have a relationship with Tuomo, love Tuomo, and, and, and that was the one that hurt, and, and, and it did. It really hurt. The Chicago Blackhawks took, took him right in front of us that – that was the player that uh, that you look back on. And go, oh, was there in in the last ten years for for a lot of Ireland's? Was there a player that you go through your draft analysis? And I know Craig, you always like to go back and see. Okay, what did it look like five six years later? Who was the one player that when you, that you were that you were like, okay, I undervalued him? And what was it when you look back in your notes that you were like, huh, this is where I missed? Really easy, Leon Dreisaitl. Leon was a really good player and having watched him, you know, before he came to Prince Albert and then watching him in Prince Albert, I mean, he, he, he was a, he was a competitive player. He was a smart player. You know, he had all, he had really good qualities and really what it was, was not, not looking at the skating in, in, in a proper light, you know, you know, he was, and, and I'll give you the, I'll give you the example and I'll, I'll tell you what, what kind of really pushed me not, not away from him. Cause he, I think I still, had him top five or whatnot. But like, I mean, when you watched him and it was the skating and it was, we had drafted Jason Botterill in 1994 uh, in Dallas in the first round. And I kept watching Leon and we loved Jason. We thought Jason was a really good prospect. And I kept watching Leon and I kept having Jason skating in my head. And that was a mistake. <laughs> you know what? Like, and Jason worked at his skating. I mean, I mean, D Jason's mother, Dory McConnell was a, was an Olympic speed skater. I mean, and you know, so you, you look at, I, I, Jason worked hard at the skating, did everything he could with the skating. And, and I just had images of Leon, like, like Jason. So that was the hesitation. Uh, boy, was I wrong on that because there was a, there was obviously a lot of things to like, and you, you're talking about, a, 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 a he's a franchise superstar, this guy. Would you trade for Jacob Chikrin if it meant giving up three high-end prospects? Well, I guess your definition of who, what, what do you consider high-end? And Fair what's point. your prospect pool like in order to trade from? Like two, two, two first-rounders and a former, you know, young first-rounder that you're still high on. Yeah, I would. I would. Because Jacob Chikrin, I've said this, and I, I've used the Oilers model. I think that Jacob Chikrin could do for the Edmonton Oilers exactly what Daryl Sador did for us in Dallas. He took a tremendous amount of pressure off of Darren Hatcher. And I, I see so many similarities with the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, Darnell Nurse, who wants to do everything he can to help a team win, gets overburdened. And when we brought in, that was Darian. And now, now Daryl came in. He could take on more minutes. He could take on more offensive minutes. The, 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 then we traded for Sergei Zuboff and he became the absolute perfect partner for him. And I, I add in, you know, Chikrin's contract, his abilities, and then I think about McDavid and Dreisaitl. And, you know, this is where I talk about, like, can, can, can the, the first-round draft pick, you, you can hang on to the first-round draft pick. Good luck. I, I hope it can help Connor McDavid in five years' time. I really do. We just talk about it being – I mean, I think for the Edmonton Oilers, those are the decisions you have to make.
You have a good young team there. It's exactly what we did with Jerome. We knew Jerome McGinley was a good player. We knew he was a good player. But we were at a different stage of our team. We had lots of good young players in our group. And we said, where are we going to find a player of Joe Neuendijk's caliber to come into our group? We had tried to sign a couple of players as free agents. We didn't get them. And so when the opportunity to get Joe, hey, listen, those aren't easy decisions to make. But at the end of the day, you talked about it. The Calgary Flames ended up coming one win short of that trade being the ultimate win-win. One win short in game seven in 2004 of that being. But I, I, I don't think the, the Calgary Flames are looking at it as a negative. And certainly the, the Dallas Stars are, aren't either. And lastly, Craig, four teams within three points today in the Pacific Division. Vegas and Seattle have 58. L.A. has uh, 56. Edmonton has 55. Who wins the Pacific Division? It, well, if the Edmonton Oilers can continue to get the goaltending they've been getting, continue to play at the level, you know, as a team. I mean, I don't worry about 97 and 29. And they trade for Jacob Chikrin, they'll finish first. <laughs> awesome, Craig. Uh, thanks, as always. Uh, welcome to the, uh, the Nation Network. We look forward to uh, lots of hockey and uh, pickleball chat on the Cool Podcast. <laughs> well, you know what? We're going to have a pickleball podcast. Dude. I can't believe you don't have one yet. <laughs> you know what? You, you, you have piqued my, my interest now. I'm gonna, I, I, I think I'm just going to do it for, for fun. <laughs> We've got a platform for that. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm serious. It, this could be fun. And, and with the notoriety around it, you know, with pickleball and lots of people being involved in it, I like, you know, and people are trying to push more attention to it. We, we might have an opportunity here. Mm, I like it. Love it. Thanks, Craig. Thank you. Excited to have Butts in the uh, in the Nation Network. Should be great. Him and Cooley. Uh, those two guys are passionate about hockey. So uh, that's what we love. Uh, I know a lot of yeah. our audience members passionate about hockey. So you just get more passionate people. There'll be uh, lots of conversations. And, uh, and Butts if, on if a pickleball you, pod. We might have to get him on a pickleball pod. It's growing. Yeah. It's a fast-growing sport right now. If you like our played? pod, I've never played pickleball. I actually asked Craig to play with him. We tried to set it up. I had a flight delay once going to Calgary and couldn't make it happen. And so... It's on my list, just like it's on my list to eventually curl with Tyler Uremchuk. But if you like our pod, I've never curled. I want to curl. And uh, if you like our pod, check out Cool Button because it's a very similar pace and style uh, with two guys whose opinions are, I think, way different than ours sometimes. Yeah, And that's healthy. That's good. Yeah, it's very good. Let's uh, bring in Tyler Uremchuk for a rip-roaring edition of Buy or Sell as uh, Ty gets set to see his bills in the Bengals. Oh, I'm fired up for that. And maybe we'll touch on that in our uh, points bet bonus question. Um, but it'll be a good weekend of football. And football always goes well with comfort food. And our friends at Montana's have a brand new comfort menu out right now. And you guys should see some of the items. They got an apple crisp for dessert that looks unbelievable. There's a dip in there. There's a new mac and cheese. If you know me, I'm an absolute sucker for a good mac and cheese with the bacon and the breadcrumbs. Oh, unbelievable montanas.ca you can check it all out their brand new comfort menu lineup uh, let's get into buy or sell i'm hitting you guys with a hard one off the jump and it's a little bit of a different one in terms of phrasing it as a buy or sell but i get there you are starting an nhl team and you can choose between one of leon Drysettle or tage thompson keeping their contract in consideration which one would you buy on frank how many years does Drysettle have left two more two 
He's got two more at 8.5, and Tage Thompson has uh, the big $7.1 million extension. I'm going to go with Leon Dreisaitl. Even with the term and all that considered? Yep, because if I'm starting a team, that means I have whatever the cap is next year, $85 million to spend. And even if Dreisaitl jumps from 8.5 at some point to 12.5 or 13 or whatever the number ends up being, there's plenty of room for it. And Dreisaitl is an individual driver that does not need Connor McDavid to pile up points. And he's proven that uh, year in and year out. And I would say that Tage Thompson, as special as he is, I don't know who, by the way, only two years younger. I don't know that he will ever be a 110 to 120 point player. Couldn't agree more. Um, I, I do find it interesting that years ago there was a top 100 player list and a star studded European wasn't on it in Evgeny Malkin. And uh, here we are in 2022 and a top 100 list comes out and Leon Drysaddle isn't on it. It's, it's, who, it's laughable. What? who had this list? Yeah, the athletic. Oh my God, that's a mistake. Yeah. So um, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I don't, um, I don't understand what the, are they were, they think because they play on the team as Crosby and McDavid, they're not good. Leon Drysaddle, like Leon Drysaddle is going to score hundred points again. He's going to become only the 26th player to have four 100 point seasons four, and he's only nine years in the league. Like this guy's going to end up probably in the top 15 when it comes to hundred point seasons. Like that will be one. They're like, Oh geez, I can't believe we didn't have it. But I, and, and you guys know me, I love Tage Thompson. The contract at 7.1, that's very it's enticing. It's a bargoon. But I still have to uh, I still have to lean to dry settle because I think he does so many things incredibly well. And uh, his pain threshold in the postseason last year is something that proved he can play when he's uncomfortable. Yeah. So one player, I believe Austin Matthews was on that list, by the way. Um, but 95. I, I'm not, yeah. Um, but he's on pace for that's under. That's way 40. premature. If you're going to put him on and not dry settle, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, Austin Matthews is on pace for under 44 goals this season. He's starting to heat up a little bit here, but are you buying or selling Matthews hitting the 50 goal mark this year, Jason? Well, 50 is tough. He's going to have to get hot, but he's shown he can, he can do that. Um, it's hard to score, like to, to put expectations on a player and say, we better score 50 every year. It just shows you how hard it is. But, um, you know, I, I, I still think his wrist is bothering him. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And if you're a shooter, um, I, 50, I think it might be a little bit of a stretch because I think he's going to rest a few more games down the stretch for Toronto. They like, and Matthews will be like, you know, does he care? Of course he wants to score 50, but he'd rather be healthy for the playoffs. He wants to win in the playoffs. So I'm going to uh, sell that he reaches 50 this season. I'm going to sell as well. Um, he hasn't looked right from jump street. Hasn't had the juice. Hasn't had the same, swagger and i i've said it before i've heard maple leaf fans respond back and say oh what a complete player he is no one's focused on the goals because this team is winning i don't care what anyone says this is one of the most disappointing individual seasons that we've seen in a while for a guy that was so explosive and so impressive last year 60 goals and close the season with 50 and 53 games. Like, I think that's what it was. Uh, crazy. Yeah. Uh, 
Last one I got for you. You guys have agreed on both of these, and this was my easy one. I probably should have started with this one. 500 goals for Steven Stamkos. He's got a couple of rings as well. Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? You buying or selling on that, Frank? I will buy. Um, I would not have said that a number of years ago, maybe four years ago, and it, obviously the cups will change that. But I, what's amazing about Stamkos is that he dealt with injury for a while and really found his stride again. Not to say he was ever a bad player, but he was just kind of like, he went through a couple years where he was just sort of marginal and forgotten, you know, 72 point season, 64 point season, and then missed some time with injuries to then go from that and, and crest over the age of 30 and go back to being a 40 goal, 100 point guy, uh, setting new career highs and points. Um, I think it takes a really special player to do that and a driving force for a team that has been one of the most dominant in the NHL for a decade. Yeah, you look at that team and I think they got a realistic shot to have five hall of famers uh, from that team. Vasilevsky and Hedman Kucherov's a no brain. I think like if I had to pick Kucherov, Hedman, Vasilevsky would be the first three. Um, Sam Coast, I think Braden Point is, is trending in that right direction at the same time in his career. I would agree with Frank. I, you know, injuries kind of slowed down Sam Coast, but uh, him coming back, the uh, you know, he only played what two minutes and 30 seconds uh, when they won the cup in 20, but he still managed to score a goal, which is which is kind of crazy. But yeah, I, I think he goes in. Stanley Cups always help for some people. I'm not a big believer you need the cups, but yeah, you're 503 goals. He has a legit shot. You look at his age. He could easily get to 600 plus. You're a 600 goal scorer for me. Like that's, that should be a lock in the hall of fame. Yeah. Yeah. He's already over. Yeah. 503 after this week. So he's got four in his last two games scored again. What about, um, it's just a shame. He doesn't have the international. Oh, he's never gotten that shot in the Olympics that I think is just an absolute crippler. Well, remember Frank, when we were best, like, God, yeah. His career we might at... be over. Yeah, we, Tyler, we talked to him at the player media tour in Chicago in 2021 before the 20, supposed to be the 22 Olympics. And he was so juiced up about the idea of finally getting a crack in Beijing. Yeah, it really is a shame that he hasn't gotten a chance to play true best on best outside of the World Cup. Uh, let's wrap with our Points Bet Canada bonus question for the week. Yes, if you're a football fan like myself, they do have all the odds up for this weekend's run of games. It's going to be a great weekend of football, but I do have an NHL question for you guys. The Pacific Division is starting to tighten up. I know you got into it a little bit with Craig Button. The Vegas Golden Knights, though, are still plus 140 favorites. That means the books are giving them about implied odds of a 41% chance to win the division. I'm asking you, what percent chance do you give the Vegas Golden Knights of holding on to first in the division? Jason? Well, I don't think so. So I'm going to say zero because Ooh. I don't think they're going to win. Um, Vegas has played, of the Pacific teams, Vegas has played 19 versus the, bo- the, the worst 10 teams in the NHL. Edmonton and Seattle have only played nine. They each have 10 more games remaining against the bottom 10 teams in the league. And if you look at all the playoff teams, they all have winning records uh, against those teams. And I, I think that's ultimately going to be the, uh, the difference uh, for Vegas is that the, the, just the strength of schedule, they took advantage of it early and uh, now it's going to be the other teams to take advantage of it. So I don't see them finishing first combine that with the Mark stone injury. I just think that guy is the emotional pulse of that team. Vegas is still going to be good. They're a playoff team. I have no doubt about that, but I don't see them winning. 
Yeah, I'm going to – I think you have to consider it around a 20% chance. I don't – I think they're probably unlikely um, at this point given their injuries. Alec Martinez as well. Uh, and also even when he's played, he looks like he's lost a bit of a step. Um, Logan Thompson started really hot. I think his game has sort of been mostly average um, of late. Last 13 games since December 7th. 899 so sub 900 um i think maybe that's a little bit of a concern um and they're asking him to play a lot he's played 30 he started 30 of the golden knights uh let's see 46 games so that's a lot he's on pace for you know just under 60 games um coupled with the injuries i i would say the oilers are in they're in a pretty good spot, but I wouldn't count out the Kraken. So the Oilers are plus 475. The Kraken are ahead of them at plus 250. And then points bet has the Calgary Flames at plus 650. And then the Kings are all the way down at plus 800. What? Eight Ooh. to one on the Kings is... They were my preseason pick, so... Uh, yeah, that's, there uh, you go. That's, hey, from, from, a, from a value perspective, that makes a lot of sense. The interesting thing is, Frank... We all know Edmonton's looking to buy. Um, it will Seattle. That might be the difference, right? If Seattle just stands pat, that might be the difference to to. You know, I still think Seattle's got a great chance to make the playoffs, but that if they stand pat and Edmonton makes additions, and Vegas might with the uh, the Stone one, that might be the difference maker. L.A. though, uh, like I think L.A.'s in a spot too, but L.A. and like I wonder if uh, if Vegas tries and, and you know goes and looks to try to get a goaltender to help Thompson, Frank. I think it's a very valid point. Teams, the scouting report on goalies, the more you get, they start to look for different things. And yep. that's, I think, maybe part of it with Thompson. And the fatigue factor. It's it's hard mentally as much to talk to goalies. It's the mental grind of starting all the time that can wear on you more than physical at times for young goalies. I also yeah. just think they haven't been as good the last few weeks. Just yeah, as no, a team. No. Four, five, care. and one in their last ten. Yeah, it'll be an interesting race in the Pacific. Uh, that's no NFL questions. Well, who do you think's going to win this week? Is I mean, Bills by a million is obvious. That never changes. <laughs> I don't even care about. It's not. I don't care who See, wins. I, it's got to be what's. Let's give it a points bet. I think Saturday's bet games tickle are, and and give us some against the yeah. spread winners. Yeah, Saturday's games are obvious straight up. Who's going to win? I haven't even looked. What's the spread for the Chiefs and the Eagles? So Chiefs minus eight and a half. Who you got? Chiefs or Jags? I'm taking the Chiefs. I think we're going to spank them. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Chiefs minus eight and a half too. I'll, I'll take the Jags. Giants plus seven and a half at the Eagles. <sighs> so hard to go against the favorites. I'm an Eagles these. fan, and I'm going to take – if I had to take – I'm not going to, but if I had to, I would take the Giants. I always find the extra half point on the touchdown line is never a good thing. Mm -hmm. And the Eagles have been very average the last six to seven games that they've played. And they need to turn it up. They need a full health Jalen Hurts. But I, I think he's closer. I don't know if he's all the way there yet. And I just think the Giants have swagger and they have a good coach. I'll, uh, I'm not going to take a side there. I'm taking the under 48. You mentioned Hertz's health, and I think the defenses can be a little bit better in this one. So I'll take I under 48. I wouldn't bet again. I wouldn't bet the under in that game. I, the Eagles could score 35 on their own. 
Yeah, I, li- I like uh, I like up. the over, but uh, I'm also I am going to take the points for the Eagles. I think the uh, the rest, Jalen Hurts. You're right, Frank. They haven't looked good, but Hurts was out for half those games. I think that early on, man, they were unbeatable for a long time. So I like them. And uh, is it? Yeah, they get Johnson back, and he's healthy. He said he wasn't going to be able to play last weekend. I uh, had a stat told to me he hasn't given up a sack since 2020. What the hell is that yeah. possible? And he's only given up one quarterback hit. So yeah, it's crazy. That's but they have some key injuries on defense too. All right, Bills minus five against the Bengals. You already know where I'm going. Wow. If it, honestly, the Bengals offensive line has got crushed. Your starting tackle and your starting guard are out. And I love the Bengals, greatest helmets in sports. But sadly, I will go with the Bills. I thought the Bills had a very they didn't they were right for the picking last week. Yeah, they were. And I think I think that they will uh, they will wake up this week. Poor Tyler, it just absolutely ruined his nation vacation. Just going ham on the bills and the Vegas sports books before he left. Yeah, that wasn't uh, the best use of my money, I suppose. And, and Niners, Niners yeah. minus three and a half against the Cowboys. I'm going to take the Cowboys in that. I'm taking the Niners. I'm hammering the Niners. I think the Cowboys are a fraud, an absolute fraud. Yeah, I'm torn on this one too. Dude, the Niners but... are legit. Yeah, they're really they good. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you playoff game. Yeah, I like and... I like the Niners too. You know what? I actually don't mind doing. Well, they romped in the second half, guys. Remember, they were trailing 17, 16 at the half. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, what I like doing for people who want some actual betting advice is teaser bets, right? Where you can take the spread and knock it down six points, but you got to parlay three of them, and three of them would be plus one twenty usually. Um, so you can take the Chiefs, get them down to two and a half, take the Eagles, get them down to minus two. And then what I actually like doing, as much as I hate to say it, take the Bengals, buy them up six and get them at 11 and a half. Boom. Those three teams. I think all those are super safe and you get it at plus 120 on the parlay. So that's my uh, actual betting advice for points bet Canada. All right. There you go. That's a wrap on this week's edition of buyer sell brought to you by Montana's daily drink deals up at their site, montanas.ca. One last one, Frank. Um, all-star rosters were announced. People are all like, well, Florida only has one player. I don't think it matters. Do you? Wait a second. Are you joining my side after telling you that all-star and all-star voting doesn't matter? No, 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 no. I'm saying the host team doesn't need multiple players to make it a good weekend. The host team should always have one. Not every team should have one, but the host team has one. They have one. I think it's By fine. the way... I was told, and this is uh, from a very reliable source, that John Tortorella, I don't, I don't know what the proper term is, got a talking to by the league after he said that he did not give a shit about the All-Star game recently. <laughs> I got, it sounds like he got his pee-pee whacked. Uh, wow. But wouldn't be the first time. No, no, it probably wouldn't, so... Uh, but I don't think Florida should be upset is all I'm saying. One player, Max, or not Max, but if you have one player, that's fine. If you had two, great. But the fact that Barkoff isn't there, I don't think is going to make or break it. The Panthers could easily incorporate Barkoff into lots of festivities away from fan fest and stuff if they wanted to. That would make it just as big. I hope he goes to a Caribbean island somewhere. God, I would. Frank, what I would do. have a good weekend. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 
All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.